0: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Come, O Holy Spirit, enlighten my understanding in order to know your commands. Strengthen my heart against the snares of the enemy, and kindle my will. I have heard your voice. And I do not want to harden my heart and resist, saying, later, tomorrow. Rather, right now, lest there be no tomorrow for me. O oh, spirit of truth and wisdom, spirit of understanding and of counsel, spirit of joy and peace, I want what you want, because you want it, as you want it, when you want it. Blessed Jose Maria Escrivá. Did most of you get this little outline? It gives you a sense, just a a very, very general sense, of where we're going to go this morning. I, I give retreats, and one of my favorite retreats to give is on conversion and holiness. I've given that in various dioceses, various deacon programs, and parishes. And I think that the way of spiritual childhood, this little way of St. Therese, is critical for us in how we embrace the spiritual life. How do we do do what we have learned? What is kind of the the how-to, the sort of handbook, if you will, for how I move through my life for how I move through my daily activities. And I think the spirituality of this little way, this spiritual childhood, is a wonderful reflection for us as you wind up your your time, your time here in the Harry Flynn Catechetical Institute. And so the first part this morning, the first session will concern, what is holiness? What is holiness? And so let's dispose ourselves by putting ourselves in the present moment. Not being anxious, not being overly busy-minded, but to recognize the grace of this present moment. Our call to holiness is a universal call. Our call to holiness is a call very simply defined, to do God's will, to do God's will perfectly. And this morning, this is not so much a lecture. I want to treat this more as a meditation. And so I'm not going to have my heavy graphics and, you know, full-blown PowerPoint here. I've got uh, just a few slides uh, to to keep folks interested and to keep me on track. But this is more of a retreat. In fact, if I had my druthers, you would all be in a church right now if I had my brothers, the way I like to do this is in front of the Blessed Sacrament, and even better, the exposed Blessed Sacrament on the altar. Because now we're turning to things of the heart. We're turning to God in our souls in an intimate way by embracing him and his will in love. Doing God's will perfectly is clearly Jesus' model for us. Thy will be done is the heart of our spirituality. Jesus commands us to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And one of the great, great ways for us to obey this command is for for us to remember that our Lord wants us to be childlike in our dependence and our trust in him. And so let's begin our meditation with this passage from Matthew. Amen, I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. The call to spiritual childhood and complete dependence on God is a call Jesus himself gives us. And it is a call that Jesus himself lived every moment he was on the face of the earth. And so this starting point for doing God's will for St. Therese is what? Holiness consists in not doing great things, but little things faithfully out of love. This is the essence, and I've mentioned this in my prayer sessions with you, but this is the heart and soul and core of what it means to live the life of spiritual childhood. This complete dependence and abandonment to God's providence in every moment. And so we see that in doing God's will, humility quickly shows up on the scene, doesn't it? One who does the will of another must be humble. So humility is the founding cornerstone of our spiritual life. The the cornerstone virtue is humility. St. Teresa of Avila But in the sight of infinite wisdom, believe me, there is more value in a little study of humility and in a single act of it than in all the knowledge in the world. I think that's pertinent coming off of studying the four pillars of the catechism. It won't do us much good unless we are growing in humility and in prayer and embracing our Lord in the sacraments of the church. This presupposes a self-knowledge. As our Lord said to St. Catherine of Siena, I am he who is, you are she who is not. This isn't to belittle us, this is reality. God is infinite and we are finite. And so the most accurate way to express that, we see that all through the lives of the saints is, God is all and I am nothing. But indeed, we have been raised to something, haven't we? Through the transforming grace of the Paschal mystery. We're adopted sons and daughters of God, which is what we talked about with the Our Father, right? We call God Our Father now, Abba. So, we are sons and daughters of our Lord, but we must grow in humility and in the knowledge that we are completely dependent on Him for everything, And it's this realization that brings that knowledge that we've gained and transforms it into wisdom. Wisdom. St. Teresa of Avila. As well as acting then, as those do who have dwelt in the mansions already described, have humility, and again, humility. It is by humility that the Lord allows himself to be conquered so that he will do all we ask of him. The deeper the foundation of humility, the more our Lord can build up our perfection and our union with him. St. Therese, the poorer you are, the more Jesus will love you. Humility ravishes God's heart. And so as we move into the meaning of spiritual childhood and what it is, humility is critical for us as a starting point. St. Teresa of Avila begins this very strongly before she goes and talks about the various mansions and how we can grow in holiness. She lays the foundation of humility and virtuous acts. And so what is our ordinary life experience? How can we apply what we've learned, especially in this catechetical institute, to our daily lives. Our, our, our daily lives often, I dare say, can become a little mundane. They could be repetitious, right? Sometimes we may feel unknown or insignificant in the eyes of the worldly. Perhaps we experience failure. Do we experience weakness? I hope I'm touching a cord because... These are the ordinary experience of fallen human beings, sinners. Perhaps we're even facing addictions. Perhaps we're facing compulsions, vexing circumstances, profound loss in our lives. We're called in this spiritual childhood to live in the sacrament of the present moment which I've touched on in my previous sessions. This sacrament of the present moment, Father Tom actually alluded to, that our Lord is present under the ordinary appearance of bread and wine, but yet a great reality subsists underneath that veil. Amen? Amen. So too in our daily lives. All the circumstances of our lives However mundane or repetitive or insignificant they may seem, whether they be good or difficult, our Lord is there. If we, with the eyes of faith and total trust and dependence like a child, accept his will and embrace his love in each of those moments. And so that's why we need to live in the present moment, where we can experience God's grace. This is critical for us in our spirituality, and integrating what we know into how we live. St. Therese, it is sufficient to humble ourselves, to endure our own faults with meekness. That is true sanctity. If there were not often something offensive to God in our faults, we would have to commit them deliberately in order to remain humble. Wow. Sanctity does not consist in these or those exercises and achievements, it consists in a disposition of the heart, which allows us to remain small and humble in the arms of God, knowing our weakness and trusting to the point of rashness in his fatherly goodness. Sound familiar? This was in our, our father reflection. We look upon God as father. We are his children by adoption. And so it is this childlike trust that we must have in our father See if any of you can relate to this. I have learned very quickly that the more one advances, the more one sees the goal is still far off. (laughs) I am simply resigned to see myself always imperfect. And in this, I find my joy. St. Therese. Perfection is God's work in the soul. We cooperate with it. We dispose ourselves for it. But when we're called to be perfect, that is God's work. We rely on Him to accomplish this in us. And so, what is going on here? Is this your understanding of sanctity? Weakness? Being resigned to see oneself as imperfect? Wait a minute, Deacon. Aren't we supposed to be mighty, perfect warriors for Christ? Yes, but we're bruised and broken in need of healing. And it is in that that we'll see in our second session that we become strong. Does that sound familiar? You'll see if you don't. The most perfect disposition toward God in spiritual childhood is a child to its parents. Again, I'm hoping this is very relevant and we can relate to this, right? This is our experience in life. Blind faith and confidence in perfect spontaneity. What does a child do? A child lives in the present moment. Is a child worrying about the past? Is he musing about the future other than when lunch is going to happen? A child a child trusts in the goodness of his parents. There is no worry, St. Therese. It is to recognize our nothingness, to expect everything from God as a little child expects everything from its father. It is to be disquieted about nothing. And not to be set on gaming our living. To be little is not attributing to oneself the virtues that one practices. It is not to become discouraged over one's faults. Where children often fall, but they are too little to hurt themselves very much. This discouragement is an important principle in the spiritual life. Discouragement is never of God. Discouragement can only be from the evil one. So we don't want to spend much time wallowing in discouragement. Because why? Because it's a lack of trust. I didn't say it was easy. But that is what we must embrace. We must embrace the love of God, trustful surrender, to fly, as St. Therese says, on the wings of confidence and love. Even the imitation of Christ said to the one who asks, I don't know if I will be saved or not, and I'm very anxious about that. And Thomas Akempha says, live as if you are going to be saved, and you will be saved. In other words, we need to live our lives confidently, moving toward God in a love relationship. To do the present duty as well as we can, with simplicity and purity of intention, leaving all else confidently in God's hands, is our handbook, the how-to, with regard to how it feels to live out that gospel life. We're moving from the abstract and the theory, which is very important, the the, the framework of our faith and our doctrine and spirituality, and we're internalizing it as Christians through the sacramental life, especially through confession and Eucharist, and in trusting our Lord in all the ordinary circumstances of our lives. That is where God is speaking to you. That's where God gives us our individual crosses. That's where God gives us our individual graces that we need to carry those crosses and then thereby to accomplish his will, whatever that may be. And so the point here is that spiritual childhood isn't easy. It isn't childish. It is much harder to to put into practice than to talk about. But what we're saying is that Sanctity is attainable. Perfection is attainable. You don't need to have the stigmata. You don't need to levitate. You don't need to have revelations in prayer. Many of the saints have. What is needed is abandonment to God in the ordinary circumstances of our lives So that's an important distinction. We're not saying holiness is easy. We're saying it's within the grasp of each and every one of us. Hence the universal call. Love is at the center of this vocation. Love is at the center of the way of spiritual childhood. Here's St. Therese reflecting on her vocation. When I had looked upon the mystical body of the church, I recognized myself in none of the members which St. Paul described. And what is more, I desired to distinguish myself more favorably within the whole body. Love appeared to me to be the hinge for my vocation. Indeed, I knew that the church had a body composed of various members, but in this body, the necessary and more noble member was not lacking. I knew that the church had a heart, And that such a heart appeared to be aflame with love. I knew that one love drove the members of the church to action. That if this love were extinguished, the apostles would have proclaimed the gospel no longer. The martyrs would have shed their blood no more. I saw and realized that love sets off the bounds of all vocations. That love is everything. That this same love embraces every time and every place. Then... Nearly ecstatic, with the supreme joy in my soul, I proclaimed, O Jesus, my love, at last I have found my calling. My call is love. Certainly I have found my place in the church. And you gave me that very place, my God. In the heart of the church, my mother, I will be love. And thus I will be all things, as my desire finds its direction. St. Therese is patroness of the foreign missions. She wanted to be a missionary, but God called her to the cloister. And yet, in being love, somehow, because of her prayers, God has providentially ordained that she become patroness of the foreign missions. God can do all things, no matter how limited we are. And I especially speak of this in my themes when I give senior retreats, that as we encounter our limitations more and more, we need not be discouraged, that God can do all things, even with our limitations that we encounter with age especially. This is consistent with St. Thomas who says, love is the form of all the virtues, right? Remember that one? Love is the form of all the virtues, that is to say, all of the virtues, all of the good actions we do, whatever kind they may be, must be animated by love, or else we are a clanging symbol. So spiritual childhood integrates love, self-knowledge, and humility as a little way of life, as one unseen by the world, insignificant. I think I may have told you this, but when the Mother Abbess was asked about St. Therese after her death, as people were looking into her sanctity, it was asked, can you tell us any great stories? Did you catch her levitating? Her response was, there was nothing special about Therese. She was just one of the nuns. This gives us confidence that God is drawn to our littleness. He's irresistibly drawn to humility. He's not impressed with our acts. Even the acts of Blessed John Paul the Great and Blessed Teresa of Calcutta. Those acts couldn't merit eternal life except for the Paschal Mystery. They would be the first ones to admit it. It is God who performs this wondrous act in our lives of anything good that we do. St. Therese, what does please him is to find me love my littleness, my poverty. It is the blind trust I have in his mercy. There is my sole treasure. And so this is the little way of spiritual childhood. The common and ordinary life of a Christian can lead one to the highest sanctity if our acts can be transformed into acts of love, if our circumstances of daily life can be transformed into acts of love. And this is done by accepting everything in blind faith, in complete abandonment to divine providence, and confidence in God's merciful love. So great is our confidence in his mercy that we offer even our afflictions to ravish his heart. Our sinfulness can become the touchpoint become the occasion of our encounter with Christ it can become the wellspring from which conversion flows and it is this humility in encountering Lord in our daily lives and having the faith to see God in the little things we all trusted that the Holy Spirit guided the conclave Do we trust that the Holy Spirit is guiding every moment of our lives if we but tune into Him? It is the same same Holy Spirit, the same. And so the doctrine of the little way of spiritual childhood is indeed a mighty labor, a mighty struggle. It is the way of the cross applied to our lives. And that's what we'll move into as we talk about kenosis how we empty ourselves in order to be filled with God in the second part. I'm thinking that given our time, I'm looking at my watch. Unfortunately, I not my watch. And I'm seeing that. And I think it's important to take some time, take a break, to reflect on these things. And I wanted to kind of wrap up this first session, lest I I speak too long. By offering you this question, do you have the questions for reflection? Or not? no, no, No problem. Here's a question. Can, as I say, ideally, perhaps we could be in a, in a monastery somewhere and we could all disperse and go walk the hallways and outside, And well, it's kind of cold outside actually, and meditate on these truths. And here's a suggested reflection for you. To meditate on the several instances in your daily life where you can find God under the guise of the sacrament of the present moment. How would developing this habit of recognizing the graces in the present moment enhance your spiritual life, your prayer life, your family life, your work? I'm going to invite you to to take about 15 minutes of, to perhaps journal a few things. Feel free to, to go, you can use the restroom, maybe walk the halls a little bit, or just many of us will just be, remain here and enter into your souls. let's take this as a quiet time. In fact, I'll generally impose the, the, the rule of silence as I do in silent retreats, and say let's take this time for some meditation and thought and prayer to our Lord, to reveal to us how the Holy Spirit can speak to us through this sacrament of the present moment, through this childlike trust and dependence on God, recognizing him in the most insignificant things. And so let's reconvene a little after 10 o'clock. Personal conversion is the goal of any academic study or theology. Conversion is the response to the Word of God. The Word of God is not a dead letter of the law. It is living and breathing. It is begotten of the Father. And so conversion... is a kenosis, that is an emptying of ourselves, of the ego, of the I. Emptying ourselves of our attachments, in making false idols. Emptying ourselves of anything that is not of God. And this is the where the rubber hits the pavement, isn't it? This is our struggle because we can't just drop it in a moment, in most cases. Oftentimes these are habitual sins, character flaws, occasions in our souls, whether it be attachment to material things or people or power or pride, all of them boil down to pride. But this is the kenosis, the emptying that we're called to imitate in Christ Jesus. Spiritual childhood leads to conversion. Leads us because it is a Christocentric doctrine. It is centered on Christ himself. How so? God made himself little. The incarnation shows us the littleness and humility of our Lord. He made himself a helpless little child, dependent, Obedient, accepting of the circumstances in his life, accepting of the Roman occupation, acceptance of rejection. I have a whole session that I love, which is called the triumph of failure. Because in Jesus' life, time and time and time and time and time again, he encounters failure, rejection. Far, far, far more than success as the world would see it. And so it is our call to put on the inner disposition of Jesus, put on the mind and heart of Jesus from inside out that helps us to imitate him, to imitate his virtues, to imitate his disposition toward the Heavenly Father, which is a love relationship. Everything he did was for the Father. Everything he did was a child to his parent. That's who he was. That's who he is. And so spiritual childhood leads us to the consideration of the paradoxical emptying of the divine word, which is captured so beautifully in Philippians chapter 2. The word who lays aside his glory and assumes the human condition, becoming little. Jesus describes himself as humble. Of all the things he could have said about himself, how does he describe himself in scriptures? Matthew 11, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, because I am wise and powerful, and can lead you the way to... No. For I am meek and humble of heart. And you will find rest for yourselves. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light because everything he does is out of love. Love doesn't count the cost. It just doesn't. That's the mystery of love. It's the most powerful force in the universe and it overcomes all things. It is the light that dispels the darkness. and The darkness cannot overcome that light. Paul, Philippians, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, (coughs) emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. Note that exaltation follows humility. First, humility. First, obedience. First, making himself a zero. Then, the exaltation of his heavenly father. In our lives, it is this interior disposition, this kenosis, this emptying of self that we must embrace for us to grow in holiness. It doesn't matter how much we know in that regard. There are many people who know the truth. The devil himself believes the creed. He does, but he rejects it. He rejects God. I will not serve. I will not humble myself. No wonder humility is the hinge virtue for us to practice in the practical life of spirituality because it's the contrary to pride, the sin of our first parents. But what we've been talking about today is oh happy fault. What we've been talking about today is that That failure became the instance of our salvation and a higher and more glorious end than we originally had. God brings good from evil. That's the more powerful God. God takes the crucifixion of Christ, the worst thing that ever happened on the face of the earth, transforms it into our salvation. The greatest act, also ever in history. We need to apply these fundamental, pithy, substantive Catholic principles of spirituality to our lives because it cuts through all the collateral and brings us very quickly to face ourselves, to face our culture around us and see all of the trends that are attacking one's ability to live a life of dedication to Christ, the teachings of his church. And so persecution will follow. But it's okay, it's been promised us by our Savior as part of the Beatitudes. Nothing can overcome love. And it is this emptying of self, as described in Second Philippians, that our Lord himself performed for us that we must imitate in our spiritual lives. And that is becoming little. Becoming obedient. Becoming docile to the Holy Spirit. And the only way we'll become that is through a very serious life of prayer. Of deep prayer. Prayer from the heart. It doesn't have to be complicated. just need to do it. God will guide you. What what is required is a good will. And taking the time. It's easy to consider God in His infinite greatness, though, isn't it? You look outside and you see the the moon and the stars, you see the mountains. You're flying in an airplane, you see the grandeur and the hugeness of the atmosphere, you feel so little. It's easy to think of God, you are so great. It's much more difficult. To consider God in his littleness. To consider that God is the most humble of all beings in the universe. And yet, that is what we're called to in our spiritual childhood. The systematic theologian in me can't resist noting that when we say that Christ emptied himself, he didn't empty himself of his divinity, he emptied himself by taking on a human nature. That was the act of humility that our Lord marvelously manifests in the incarnation, the word being made flesh. So herein is the challenge in our program for our spiritual life, which is to accept and embrace the unfathomable humility and littleness of God. Like I've said this before, God is more missed than hated in our society. We're so distracted. We're so comfortable in so many ways, physically. But spiritually and emotionally, as a culture, we're a wreck. Because we don't have God in our lives. We don't have humility. We don't have order and restraint. And so we do this emptying not with our (coughs) own efforts only, only through the grace of God. Because this is a pretty tall order that I'm sort of standing up here before you with St. Therese and St. Paul. But we take courage. This is why we have the Eucharist. This is why we have the Sacrament of Reconciliation. Thanks be to God. We have the sacraments to give us the grace, the power to live that out. Remember the, the slide with the economy of salvation, and I had that thrown into the, the the context of the four pillars. And we have the revelation and the knowledge of the word with the creed, right? It tells us who God is. And then we're given the power through the sacramental life of the church to then live out the moral life, which is the third pillar, and prayer representing that reunion with God, that nuptial growth the loving embrace with God and that's where we're at today how do we embrace that what does it feel like to live it and it is this emptying it is emptying through humbly seeing God in those ordinary circumstances of life and seeing God in our failures in our insignificance but how can our defects and faults and sins become occasions for greater abandonment When, Therese says, it's sufficient to humble ourselves, to endure our own faults with meekness, that is true sanctity? Well, what about God's justice? Everyone loves God's mercy, but isn't he also perfectly just? Yes. But, let's remember our dogmatic theology. In God, his love, his justice, and his mercy are the same. God is perfectly simple, is he not? He is pure act. He is pure act. God is one, the most simple in the universe. He is infinite. And yet, in him, justice and love are identically the same thing. St. Therese said, I expect as much from the good God's justice as from his mercy. Why? Why? Because his justice takes into account all the mitigating circumstances. His mercy and his justice are one and the same. Take St. Paul and his conversion, which you all know. His conversion, the ferocity and tenacity with which he persecuted the church, persecuted Christ, therefore. And he was transformed into just the opposite, zeal for Christ and reaching out to the Gentiles, no less. And Ananias hears this, and he thinks, God, do you know who this guy is that you're sending to me? Do you know what he's doing? No, Ananias, why don't you tell me what he's doing? <laughs> he says, lay your hands on him. This man is to me a vessel of election, says the Lord, to carry my name before the Gentiles, for I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. It is as if Christ had said he hated and persecuted me furiously. So now I condemn him to love me (laughs) as vehemently as he hated me. And to suffer for my name's sake, all that he wished to make me suffer. Even to the point of dying a thousand times, if necessary, for the glory of my name. Thus was the vengeance of our Lord on Paul. Love is transformed into justice and justice into love. Mercy flows from this occasion, this transformation. Justice is transformed into love and love into justice. This is encouraging for us. This divine transformation of justice into love is verified in every conversion. And that is what we're called to, an ongoing daily conversion Paul's was quite dramatic. But for each one of us, it's especially, and it was for Paul too, as we'll read in a minute, it's a day to day battle. That's why we need the Eucharist every day. We need to pray every day. God's purpose in permitting our miseries, our, our sins, that beset our humanity, that beset our souls, is that they may serve for our sanctification, says John of the Cross. John of the Cross says that when divine love has healed our misery, the wounds of our sins will be transformed into wounds of love. And this only happens through grace. And so, this is what we mean when I alluded to earlier that it's where we're falling apart. In the darkest corners of our souls it's in where we struggle with our sin with our brokenness that we encounter Christ most intimately where you're falling apart is where you encounter Christ and receive grace if we would open our hearts saint paul knew something about this second corinthians Therefore, that I might not become too elated, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, an angel of Satan, to beat me, to keep me from being too elated. Three times I begged the Lord about this, that it might leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is made perfect in weakness. That is spiritual childhood. That is encountering Christ through our weaknesses. I will rather boast most gladly of my weaknesses in order that the power of Christ may dwell with me. A, he's speaking of a philosophically, there's a causal relationship there. I will boast most gladly of my weaknesses in order that the power of Christ may dwell with me. Which means if we don't embrace our weaknesses and see them as occasions for us to give ourselves more completely to God, then the power of Christ won't dwell in us. Therefore, I am content. I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and constraints for the sake of Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. The wound has become the fountain. We hide from Christ. We hide from God as Adam and Eve hid after their original sin. And it's our need to bring these to God in the Sacrament of Reconciliation over and over and over again, if need be, in order to be healed. Christ loves the struggle. He blesses that struggle. He loves the determination that nothing's going to separate us from Him. And so if we fall a thousand times, we get up a thousand times, by the grace of God. Christ will meet us on our own personal cross. And when we hang there, we break his heart. He comes to us. We're needy. This is Therese. Therese likened her relationship with God as her being a little child at the bottom of the stairs, looking up with his hands about here on the first stair. And God comes down and sweeps her up and brings her up the stairs. It is our dependence on God that attracts him to us. It is our humility and our admission of our sins. We must suffer the coming of Christ into our hearts. We must suffer the coming of Christ into our hearts to heal us from our sins. That's the, when you go back to parishes after this institute... Yes, you'll bring very important knowledge. But what we convey, whether we be deacons or priests or laypersons, in our teaching, in our ministry, in our service to others, is that we have suffered Christ to come into our hearts. And we're suffering it every moment. Suffering it because it means a tearing. It means a constant conversion. Right? That's what makes us authentic in our ministry. Because we're sinners too. Chief sinner, here. Peter claims it for himself, I'll take it from him. (laughs) It's our sinfulness and our need for Christ that is the energy that builds up within us, that gives us that zeal to speak the word of God, to serve others. It's not a mere mental gymnastic. So this is the implementation of the Catechetical Institute and of all that you've heard of the Word of God, and all that we read in spiritual books and doctrine. This is the internalization of the Holy Trinity coming into our souls. Catechism. The way of perfection passes by way of the cross. There's no holiness without renunciation and spiritual battle. This is what I'm submitting this morning is that renunciation isn't just fasting. Renunciation is every moment. This emptying of ourselves, becoming selfless for the love of Christ by recognizing God in our ordinary circumstances of life, by abandoning to Him, as a child. And it's easier said than done. That's the renunciation. That's what perfects us and disposes us. Disposes us to receive then our Lord. Our Lord can't come into a soul that is full of other stuff. Right? If God is going to dwell within us, we need to make room for him, right? So where your heart is, there your treasure lies also, says the Lord. And so where our heart is, is it with our Lord completely and fully? That's a constant process in this life that God gives us the grace to be transformed into. Our crosses may seem little as well. Sometimes, many here endured or are enduring heavy crosses, very significant ones. But no matter how little or large it may be perceived, they're no less real. Sometimes it's harder to bear the so-called little crosses. Maybe there's 500 of those crosses. (laughs) Death by popcorn stoning, you know, as Fulton Sheen would say. Uh, All of these need to be recognized in the present moment and offered to God. A person who is so recollected to begin to see God and recognize him and make those those uprisings of spirit to him and prayer throughout the day will quickly attain union with God, because it takes great faith to believe that our Lord cares for us in all those little instances in all the things we do. Great faith. Christ tells us that we cannot be his disciple unless we renounce our very selves take up our cross, and follow him. That's the language of conversion. Jesus gives us the program. Spiritual progress, the catechism tells us, tends toward ever more intimate union with Christ. And so, let's go back now, as we've plumbed the depths of kenosis and conversion, and remind ourselves that this is, the yoke is easy. The yoke is easy because it's a relationship a nuptial relationship that we're called to here. We're living for a person, right? Not the energy source out there, some impersonal power. This is an intimate relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ who leads us to this Trinitarian life that he shares. And the Trinity itself is a sort of kenosis because each of the persons of the Holy Trinity, and I checked this with Dr. Hip, my old friend, from, who teaches on the Trinity here. And it is, as we, we're, we're all fired up at Devani's talking about how kenosis is present in the Holy Trinity. And it is because wherever there's love, there's a self-emptying, isn't there? Wherever there's love, there's a self-emptying. And so what's happening between the persons of the Holy Trinity? Perfect love, perfect selflessness and emptying. So in being kenotic and in emptying ourselves, not only of our attachments, but of our very selves in order to take on the identity of the beloved in our hearts. We're being Trinitarian in our spiritual life. This is what we're called to for eternity. This union with the Holy Trinity forever. Can't wait. God will not be boring. He's a family. Families are never boring, are they? <laughs> Very consoling Indeed. And so, what is the result? It's this childlike surrender to God that makes us a victim of divine love. So this is a a pithy, a warrior-like, childlike surrender. It's all these things wrapped into one. Because it takes great strength and determination to live this little way. Ha ha, St. Therese, yeah, little way. Thanks for trying to make it seem a little easier. But indeed, this is for the strong of heart. The strong of heart even though we may be weak. A victim is one who is despoiled of all he has and loves, and more so if he's deprived even of life. This is the, the witness of the martyrs. This is precisely what divine love does to those who yield themselves to its action. This is the passive purification of the Spirit that John of the Cross talks about in the end that pulls out the, the roots of pride and sin in the soul eventually in the seventh mansions. We must put on, therefore, the new man, as Paul says. Think of what is above, not what is on earth. If you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God, when Christ, your life, appears, then you too will appear with him in glory. Put to death, then, the parts of you that are earthly immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and the greed that is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming upon the disobedient. By these, you too once conducted yourselves when you lived that way, but now you must put them all away. Anger, fury, malice, slander, and the obscene language out of your mouths. Stop lying to one another. Put on the new self, which is being renewed for knowledge in the image of its creator. This is the language of conversion. This is what we're called to in our little way. And so the new man, we used to talk about this in deacon formation, they'd say, you're going to be the new man when you're ordained. I said, well, I'll be the new man, but I'll still be the new broken sinful man. (laughs) And the difference is, is that what I could say about that for a minute is that as clergy and as someone who is preaching and teaching and doing these things, what's amazing is, that, is to see that God can work through broken instruments. That's what's really cool. That's what's really consoling. And so it's no excuse to go out and say, well, I need to be humble here. Maybe I shouldn't be doing these church ministries. Maybe I shouldn't be giving of my time, talent, and treasure more in the church. No, no. Yes, you're broken. Of course you are. Join the club. <laughs> But what you're doing is you're transformed in joy because you're entrusting yourself and abandoning to God's goodness and his mercy. Because that's the only way we're going to be saved. You can't take heaven by storm. So be encouraged. You can put on the new man every day. And it's a process. And it's like watching the corn grow in the spring. Whenever that's going to happen. <laughs> when I'm driving to St. Mary's, rural parish out there in Wisconsin, I'm driving, oh, look at that. The, oh, the corn's sprouting, you know, and it's a couple inches off the ground. Then suddenly I'm driving by, I think to look out there again, and it's boom, like this, right? And then boom, it's like this. Like, how did that get so tall, right? How, did it, how does it grow that quickly? Well, we don't notice it if you just, it's like the watched pot to boil, right? It's something that just happens, we, be, we begin to look back on our spiritual life and in spiritual direction and see the progress we make. You know, from time to time we can see that, yeah, I, I think I have made some, some changes in my life and I can see that I'm closer to God than I was before. So it's not that we never see that progress. but We need to be patient. And the Lord will do his work in us. Unless a grain of wheat fall and die, it remains just wheat. Let's talk about St. Paul one more time to illustrate this struggle of putting on the new man. This struggle of continual conversion. Romans 7. See if anybody can relate to this. What I do, I do not understand. <laughs> See if I can get all my do's right in this. For I do not do what I want but I do what I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I concur that the law is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that good does not dwell in me, that is, in my flesh. The willing is ready at hand, but doing the good is not. For I do not do the good I want, but I do the evil I do not want. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. So then I discover the principle that when I want to do right, evil is at hand. For I take delight in the law of God, in my inner self, but I see in my members another principle at war with the law of my mind taking me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Miserable one that I am, who will deliver me from this mortal body? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Therefore I myself with my mind serve the law of God, but with my flesh the law of sin. Paul is content with this circumstance. He understands that there's a war inside. And that war will wage till our death. And probably five minutes after, as I like to say. And this is encouragement for us to look upon conversion as an ongoing struggle. And that God will help us progress And overcome. But Paul is content with weakness. St. Therese, a little flower, is content with littleness, with weakness. That's really against our American culture, really cuts against the tide. This is the key for us to meditate on, I think, today. Are we struggling? Good. Keep it up. (laughs) Are you not struggling? Let's get with the program then. (laughs) That's what it's all about. And that's what we share as brothers and sisters in Christ and encourage one another in that. And God gives many gifts to the church to heal us and to advise us and to, to move us on that way toward him. For he works mostly through the actions of others in our lives. And so this is Paul's struggle. Paul was content with what, with all that we view as absolute failure. Something to be avoided. But he endured these, quote, for the sake of Christ. It was for the sake of Christ that this had any meaning. So again, the relationship, right, is for the beloved. Beloved. St. John of the Cross and his poems, as you know, are love letters. They're love letters to God. Where have you hidden, my beloved? Why have you wounded my soul? I went out into the wilderness calling for you, but you were gone. And then he has some more positive ones, like he leads to, Well, I found my beloved in the mountains. And so, it is this love relationship, this nuptial relationship, that is Paul's motivation. It is his heart. So these conversion-type stories, and you look at Peter as well, his denials, and then his reaffirmations of Christ. We see David, when confronted by Nathan, the prophet, discovers the depth of his sin, and he's transformed. In all the great figures of the church, we see conversion. We see St. Augustine and his conversion as a beautiful example to us. It illustrates that when we meet God and encounter him in our hearts, when we're confronted with our sin, it is there that we're transformed. It becomes the fuel for prayer. the fuel for penance until the love of God himself fuels our penance, fuels our prayer, fuels our work. So this encounter with Christ, which is what Pope Benedict describes as faith in Porta Fidei, faith is an encounter with Christ, the person of Christ. And faith is crowned by love and leads to love as the affirmation of faith and baptism leads to the summit of all our sacraments in the Holy Eucharist which is our union of love with Christ in a nuptial way well I could keep going but I want to wrap up with a few quotes for your meditation. Saint Thérèse, it is probably true that I am not always faithful, but I do not lose courage on that account. I throw myself into my Lord's arms. And he teaches me to draw profit from everything. From the good and the evil he finds in me. I give way to I give way to too many weaknesses but I rejoice in them. Be not afraid to tell Jesus that you love him, even though it be without feeling. This is the way to oblige him to help you and carry you like a little child too feeble to walk. All this is to emphasize the primacy of the love of the heart underlying our works. The nature of our works is almost irrelevant. St. Augustine, love God and do what you will. Except, as long as our actions are not evil in their object, of course, what matters is this abandonment to God. And so let's close with this beautiful reflection by St. Therese. In the evening of this life, I shall appear before you with empty hands. For I do not ask you, Lord, to count my works. All our justice is stained in your eyes. I wish then to be clothed in your own justice and to receive from your love the eternal possession of yourself. I want no other throne. No other crown but you, my beloved. Offer to God the sacrifice of never gathering any fruit. If he wills that throughout your whole life you should feel repugnance to suffering and humiliation. If he permit that all the flowers of your desires and of your good will, should fall to the ground without any fruit appearing. Do not be sad. At the hour of death, in the twinkling of an eye, he will cause fair fruits to ripen on the tree of your soul. I beg you to understand me. Do understand me the more wretched and weaker we are, the more suitable we are to love Jesus, to be the victim of his love. The mere desire to be his holocaust suffices. But we must consent to remain always poor and powerless And you see, that is where the difficulty lies. For who will find the man truly poor in spirit? He must be sought far away, says the imitation of Christ. It does not say that he is to be found among the great souls, but far away. That is to say, in lowliness, in nothingness. Let us stay far from everything that glitters. Let us love our littleness. Let us love feeling nothing. And Jesus will come to fetch us, no matter how far away we may be. And he will reshape us in the flames of his love. last reflection period then we'll end with that the second question how can we embrace spiritual childhood complete abandonment to God through our weaknesses attachments and sins how can these become occasions of dependence and trust in God what sacraments of the church would most assist you to provide the grace and strength to grow more childlike in your dependence on God? Let's take some time till 11 o'clock and then we'll have a very brief blessing and final prayer. Reward you for taking the time this morning in this time of formation of our spirits, a time of meditation and reflection to integrate what we've learned in this wonderful catechetical institute. I'd like to commend to your consideration this book that I haven't even read yet (laughs) that Nancy just gave me. And uh, providentially. It covers a very good portion of what we talked about this morning. It's called The Way of Trust and Love. And it's by uh, Jacques Philippe. (laughs) Uh, He's well-known for his books on prayer and spirituality. A member of the community of the Beatitudes. He regularly preaches retreats in France and abroad. Um, So he gives a lot of spiritual direction. I just glanced through it and... uh, Nancy's got a lot of underlining in here. It looks great, Uh, which is what I do with my books. Uh, This would be a great book, I think, so I I would recommend it to you. It really talks about the the little way and of giving oneself completely to God through that way of St. Therese. I'd like to close with a prayer, one of my favorite prayers. from It's brief. From St. Teresa of Avila again, if anybody has questions, feel free to come up uh, afterwards and we can talk. Thank you for your attentiveness and for your prayers. Let nothing disturb you. Let nothing frighten you. All things are passing away. God never changes. Patience obtains all things. Whoever has God lacks nothing. God alone suffices. The Lord be with you. Amen. And, with your and the blessing of Almighty God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit descend upon you and remain with you forever. Amen. God bless you.